Greetings, and welcome to Talking Trek to You, where an expert and a noob boldly go through Star Trek episode by episode. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Kev Kozer. Say hi, Kev. Hi. How are you doing this week? Well, your regular Kev Kozer couldn't make it to the recording, but I am the anti-Kev Kozer from the Negative Universe, and I think I can do a good substitute job. Fantastic. Well, hopefully you won't detonate the podcast in an explosion which is going to destroy the entire universe. But... As always, we need help to cover our episodes, so our guest this week is Abby. Say hello, Abby. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to uh, to have you. Now, we know each other from our previous podcast, from uh, Talking Who to You, still available on all good podcasts, so you choose to listen to it, uh, but it's lovely to be able to uh, welcome you to Talking Trek. It, it, it's an honor and a privilege. Uh, nanu Nanu, as I believe you Trekkies say. Well, that's a, <laughs> depends how much we've had to drink. Um, but but before we disappear down that particular alley, um, as as we always do when we have a guest on the podcast, we like to ask them uh, what their history with Star Trek is. So um, what's Star Trek to you, Abby, and, and how did you come to it? Oh, ooh, I, I guess I watched uh, Deep Space Nine a couple of years back. Back, uh, I would have been but a wee babe at the time um, when it went on Netflix, you know, and... Uh, I like Deep Space Nine a lot. I can't really like Voyager. I I don't like the next generation. I'll just say it. I don't mm. get it. I don't get it. It's just a bunch of robot men. Um, Deep Space Nine I like because everyone's a stupid jerk. Um, I like the old Trek because it's very campy. I haven't I haven't had the the chance to dip much into the new series. People keep saying uh, the Orville is a great show too. I haven't I don't watch TV. All right, I listen. To Doctor Who audio dramas, and and that's basically my bread and butter. Um, I suppose it's not literally true. My bread and butter is is bread and butter. Um, <laughs> I I drink wine like wine. Uh, as as all right as I, all right thinking people should. Yes, yes. I I don't I don't trust a metaphor any further than I can throw it. That's that's fair enough. Have you seen any of the movies, or have you you strictly kind of stuck to the TV shows? Ooh, I, uh, what is it? The one with the whales? That's a great one. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm I'm mostly into anything for the comedy, so that sort of has guided me through the series. My brother, strangely, um, started watching Trek over the pandemic, and he started with Voyager. And I kept telling him, you're going to love Deep Space Nine. And then he went on to Enterprise. Well, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Uh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Um, and I think probably, Kev, if you would care to give us our usual summary, please. All right. Uh, Kirk and Spock uh, are hovering above a planet. It seems to wink out of existence and back in again. So they go to investigate. They find a crazy guy there who is shouting and raving about an evil beast that they have to defeat. Uh, they've even the Enterprise to study him. A bunch of weird things happen where it's like suddenly he has a wound on his suddenly he doesn't. Suddenly crystal's being stolen, but he doesn't know what that to do with he doesn't know about that. Uh eventually they determine there's two of this guy, one is from the antimatter universe. They've both been running around. The one from our universe is the insane one, the antimatter one's the same one, and he the antimatter one nobly sacrifices himself to trap both him and the matter universe counterpart to prevent them from colliding and blowing up the universe. Because that's what happens when matter meets antimatter, I guess. Um, yeah, and that dragged on for 50 minutes. <laughs> well, um, excellent way of uh, both summarizing the episode and possibly tipping your hand as to what you might have thought of this one. Um, but before we get to that, well, let's uh, let's start with you, Abby. Uh, how did you find this one? 
I found it very reminiscent of uh, the first uh, Raido Kuzunoha Devil Summoner game uh, versus the Soulless Army. Um, <laughs> that's uh, just a little absurdist joke. Um, Devil Summoner's great. And, and you fight an evil guy. I liked it. I liked I, when I was looking it up. Uh, I, I figured we were going to start a lot more granular when I was looking this up on Memory Alpha. They, they keep mentioning this as an iron silica planet, and apparently that's how this planet is just recorded in all Trek lore books <laughs> thereafter, an iron silica planet. But just reading the the episode description, I, I figured that was just a joke about how they filmed another episode in a quarry, and they just that's a running joke. <laughs> is, oh, they visit a lot of iron silica planets. All of yeah. them leased to the Desilu uh, production studio by uh, the late uh, Mr. McQuarrie, I assume. We have to earn our name somehow. Yeah. I was going to make a great joke, but I couldn't remember the name of the quarry they keep using. But uh, that's the name. That's the class Ooh. planet they're always visiting. The Vasky's Rock. Vasky's Rock. Thank Vasky's you. Rock. The Vasky's oh, class planets are the ones that feature in this episode and many others. Um, but yeah, it is, not only is it just like another quarry episode, but there's nothing even significant about it. They go, like, it's just, everything feels so barely sketched in. And I mean, we could get into production issues maybe a little later, but it definitely feels like a script that was hastily rewritten, hastily filmed under the gun in extreme circumstances that part a lot of stretching things and drawing things out and then not much ever a care could be put into it. I I'm constantly banging the drum. We should have longer episodes, seasons of television, like 10 episodes mm. of the new strange new worlds is not going to feel enough, but this may be the argument against 30 episode seasons because sometimes you just gotta, you just have nothing and you just got to film people running around a quarry for 50 minutes. And I think the half hour sitcom nailed it. You know, 30 episodes yeah. of a half-hour sitcom about people on a spaceship, I'm gold. Yeah, yeah. there's something something deeply unsatisfying about this episode. And, and, and the idea that they're uh, just running out of, well, everything is just, that's all we have here. It's just a bunch of stuff that's all kind of run out. Um, nobody really seems that invested in it. Nobody seems all that bothered by the fact that it's just sort of plodding along. Uh, we have the single worst beard in televisual history. Oh, God. Uh, Strongly <laughs> disagree. Strongly uh, disagree. Really? You think there's a worse beard than the... Than no, the, I just think it's great. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, well, uh, you know, that's that's a point of view. Um, but I'm still going to claim it as the worst beard in televisual history. <laughs> um, and 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 appropriately enough, it, it's attached to one of the worst performances. So there's, there's that too. It's just, it's so flat i i kind of oh god where do you even begin with this that's the problem i mean i feel sorry for robert brown because like, i'm saying like i said he's giving a bad performance he's giving a bad performance as crazy lazarus actually his performance as saint lazarus is quite good um but i mean what's he supposed to do with this mad crazy homeless guy mad crazy homeless interstellar guy who wants to mad crazy homeless blow up the universe there's nothing to it so what does he do he goes over the top because yeah what else can you do? It's 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 kind of dispiriting in a way that Star Trek just hasn't really been up till this point. Well, I think you can draw a lot of pathos out of homelessness, uh, but he chose not to. <laughs> and it it's strange that with um, 
the the casting change of uh, John Barrymore just didn't show up to set. <laughs> they had to drag the replacement out. It you would think that that would overshadow everything else as a production problem, but as you say, like this the script from the word go just had nothing. Right. Just everyone is acting nuts, and they try to sort of paper it over it by doing that. That for for my money, the best thing of sixties uh, sci fi in general is when someone will suddenly just start. You know, like, oh, that, that alien over there, I wonder by my troth what Bo and I did till we loved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're getting into behind the scenes info, memory alpha corner, then uh, yes, uh, John Barrymore was originally supposed to play this role, uh, did not show up, probably because he read the script. Um, <laughs> then they had to, like, as you said, Abby, the story is drag Rick Robert Brown onto set. And yeah, his performance makes sense when you realize, oh, he's getting these pages right before they start shooting <laughs> and just has to go for it. There's no time to develop a nuanced character. I mean, I agree. You could, there was nuance to be found in this character, maybe not in the dialogue as written, but a good actor, a maybe a John Barrymore could have found some pathos here for sure. It's just the dialogue isn't good enough to shore up a bad performance. And Robert Brown is not given the, the, any breathing room to shore up the bad dialogue so it just collapses well i know one thing about um the the sort of john uh john barrymore uh john barrymore performance um was apparently like when uh when that fell through and a robert brown was chosen in place like like makeup decided to go all out and, and you know like he like robert brown was told oh you know we weren't going to make this much effort for for john barrymore but you know we'll make a special effort for you and he got the beard but christ if that's the special effort they made what's it like when they can't be bothered it's mm -hmm. just it's oh it's so inexplicably bad um and i suppose we should be grateful that that um you know, it, I was going to say it's the same beard. It's visibly not the same beard at <laughs> different points of the episode. Um, but at least it's not doing a, like, one of them has it, one of them doesn't, one of them has it, one of them doesn't. Um, but even that might actually be an improvement because although it would be incredibly clunky, um, at least it would be, I don't know, something. Like, everybody comes across so dumb in this episode. How can they, how can they spend so long pondering, hmm, this one has a wound, but this one doesn't. Oh, it must be McCoy making a joke? What? Oh, yeah. That's God. so bad. Like, I mean, even putting it, like, like, whether you want to treat it textually or paratextually, whether it's like, like, Kirk just wouldn't dismiss McCoy making a genuine, like, medical prognosis uh, like that. And, like, the writers and or a script editor, ideally both, just should never write Kirk as being so kind of arrogantly dismissive of that like it just that none of that makes sense and it's so obviously designed to pad out another five minutes of runtime so we oh the mystery of the bandage whoa that'll keep on coming back after the commercial break it's got nowhere to go and and that's exactly what it does it goes nowhere i i love um just talking of characters behaving in bizarre ways is it is it mccoy who at one point is like shouldn't you have put security on him kirk and kirk's like no want to fight about it <laughs> he's very defiant about his terrible decisions yeah it's it's a weird everyone's just acting weird i mean i guess nimoy is still in the pocket but every other performance just it really feels like they're going through the motions um no one's 
given it their all to this material. <laughs> Especially talking about like how dumb they are. The scene that really got me was uh, Kirk figuring it out. And it just feels like Spock being like, I don't know, dude. And Kirk is just like, what if there was antimatter? <laughs> she just pulls it out of thin air, it seems. There's like, it's supposed to be this episode long mystery with like, in a well structured mystery, there are clues that add up. And you have an, oh, of course that makes sense sort of solution to it all. Instead, at like the 30 minute mark, Kirk just says, what if antimatter exists? And Spock is like, wait, it does. And mystery solved. <laughs> sort of. Oh, yeah. Mm. He like deduces the existence of antimatter with like his quick thinking, you know, hard drinking, two fisted tails logic. And the mm-hmm. scientists are all like, yes, you're a genius. You've cracked something none of us could have. And also, I get they want to give Kirk something to do in this script. But, like, wouldn't it make more sense for Spock to be the one that figured that out rather than Kirk? Because, like, I mean, also, Kirk's got enough to do. He gets a couple of fight scenes and he goes down to the planet and he even gets to visit um, the other planets uh, where they couldn't even be bothered to put a filter over the, pla- the the camera to make it look different. So, you know, like Kirk's got plenty to do. It, it seems more, and please excuse the expression, but it seems more logical for Spock to be the one that figures it out. But no, no, we need a quick info dump, so we'll just give it to Kirk. Yeah, jobs are good. It definitely feels like that mindset where, well, he's our protagonist, so he has to drive the plot at all times. Like, I don't know. That just feels like a mindset a lot of TV shows can get stuck in, um, especially in the more poorly written episodes, where it's like, well, of course, our main character must be always the one pushing things forward because he's the best. And I, I'm not saying Shatner himself demanded this, but because he's the star and this, he's the one with the biggest ego. And so, like, even if, like I'm saying, I'm not imagining a scenario where Shatner said, I have to just come up with this and not Spock. But that's just the attitude we're working with here, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But again, it's 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 another way where the script just just doesn't really bother to line up with the stuff that we've had over the preceding episodes. It's just it makes an assumption and then just rolls with it, whether that's the right assumption or not. And you know, especially when it comes to Kirk being kind of like the the uh, like two fisted action hero, he's fine at that and there's obviously nobody's going to complain about it and there should be attempts to broaden the character beyond that you know he should be able to make uh logical deductions he should be able to work stuff out it's just that this episode doesn't do that well for him it's not even necessarily that the impulse is wrong it's just done really badly and that that feels like such a like an undermining of the episode. Like you said, Kev, we, it just gets to the 30-minute mark and then what if antimatter? Yep, that's what it is. And then we trundle onwards for the next 20 interminable minutes until they get stuck in a corridor for some reason. Um, and it's just, it's so unsatisfying because the pacing is incredibly off as well. We spend so long. It's just a shame we can't swear in this podcast because I would really like to at this point, but we spend so long messing about with the the mystery of the bandage and the stealing of the lithium crystals and the 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 farting about in sick bay and then he turns up in the mess hall for another two minutes of runtime and all the rest of it's it takes so long to get to the point where all right why is this person actually a threat other than the fact that he's a bit of a nutter and it takes half an hour to get to that point and then like when we get there it's kind of hard to care 
It's just the pacing is all over the place in this episode. Did you say pacing? Yeah, the pacing. It, I, I, I thought you... Well, we can't swear. I thought you said going pee-pees. Oh. <laughs> they, 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 it the it certainly does that as well. It certainly takes the... Yeah. Right on the floor. I'm very sorry. <laughs> it's like a planet of evil. Well, yeah, that is a very fair comparison, actually. Another planet filled with antimatter, but one considerably better than this. I... The pacing thing, it has to be a side effect of the other big production issue, which is it sounds like there was a last minute rewrite because there's a subplot where uh, the lieutenant who's featured in this episode. Uh, oh, I'm trying to pull up the name again. Uh, oh, Char, uh, Lieutenant Masters, yeah. uh, played by Janet McLaughlin. Uh, she was supposed to fall in love with Lazarus, which sounds awful, <laughs> but uh, Roddenberry pointed out that we just did that in space seed where the woman falls in love with the villain so i don't want to repeat that too soon and i guess that's a good call because that was a terrible plot in space seed and that would that would be the only thing that can make this episode worse if they did the same thing again but it's filled with nothing like it's not replaced by anything the a plot becomes the only story and that only story is everyone running around after this guy who keeps coming up with the lamest excuses for why he's not doing what he's doing and everyone's just acting so dumb not figuring out what's going on well there is an important sidebar to that as well which is they wanted to do that the, the same you know uh lieutenant masters falls for this like charismatic guy however they cast uh janet mclaughlin and because she's african-american the studio got cold feet. They didn't want to have uh, an on-screen romance between an African-American character and a white character. So they were faced with two alternatives. Either they recast the character so that it wasn't African-American, or they had to kind of depower the script so that there wasn't this kind of love affair between them. I mean, you know, we're, we're obviously in a couple of seasons' time, we'll get onto the whole interracial kiss thing between uh, Kirk and Uhura and all that kind of stuff. But at this point, the networks simply weren't prepared to go that far, and so they were faced with that. That was the dilemma. So either they either they sacked uh, Janet McLaughlin after she'd been cast, and they could go ahead with the love story, or they left her in place and they kind of defanged it so that um, the love story wasn't there anymore, or the, the kind of attraction between her and Lazarus. It's hard to know exactly what the right course of action. Like, I really admire the fact that they said, no, actually, we want to maintain our on-screen diversity, so we're going to keep the African-American character, um, and we'll just alter our script in order to maintain that. That's, that's commendable. You know, that's really you know, putting representation front and center in the late 60s. That's great. But the, the quid pro quo of that is that, that her, she doesn't do anything. Because her whole role, that character's whole role in the episode was to have this kind of, you know, affair or, or, you know, sort of torrid passion for Lazarus. And so that's pulled out of the script. So instead, she just wanders around essentially being, and I'm, you'll please forgive my indelicacy when I say it like this, but essentially being Black Scotty. Like, she doesn't have anything to do that isn't just repeat the engineering stuff. And that's not really terribly interesting. So... I don't know. I admire the impulse to maintain diversity. That's absolutely the correct call. But at the same time, it really hobbles what was otherwise a central 
like part of the script. And with that, it's not, it's not just that that part is pulled out. It's just that it's not replaced with anything. So the character doesn't really get anything to do. They just stand around. Yeah. Repeating engineering stuff. And that's, that's both undermining to the character and especially like a prominent African-American female African-American character in the late sixties, it, it undermines that person's place within the crew, but it also just knackers the script because there's nothing in there to replace it with. I don't think it's healthy for a critic to like suggest changes that would improve a script, but I'm not a good critic anyway, so I'm going to do it. I think if you want to square that circle, you know, and make something that the audience of the sixties can enjoy, something that makes you think, uh, something that broadens the mind, you know, puts puts representation front and center. Uh, you keep the relationship, right? But one of the one of the evil antimatter dudes, one of the Lazarus is the good Lazarus, is played by a black man, and and they fall in love on camera. So you can have it without you know scandalizing people with the idea of people, you know, with two semitones of skin color different. You know, they can they can be the same. They can still be in love. And then and then he turns into an evil white man. He's trying to destroy the universe. He's made out of antimatter. He's wearing the Omega helmet. Um, it's perfect. And then uh, at the end, you know, Kirk's like, which Lazarus is that? And and Spock's like, Captain Kirk, uh, we live in a post-racial society. Uh, all, you know, centuries of equality and peace mean that you can't claim to be able to identify the difference between these men. And he's like, they're, they're clearly different. I mean, even even leaving aside side race, they, they have different faces. They have different builds. You know, these are different actors, Spock. Spock's like, no, Kirk, the fate of the universe depends on you not telling the difference between these two men. Kirk's like, damn it, man. Forsooth. Because it's the 60s. Yeah. It, I do, yeah, I am wondering, that might have just been the simplest solution. I, I, I we could go for the race switching part. But yeah, having Lazarus, recasting Lazarus as a someone who could be with Lieutenant Masters and the censors wouldn't get mad at that. But also, again, that story sounds so boring. They did it in Space Seed, and it was the worst part of Space yeah. Seed. Oh, yeah, I'm not defending it as a possibility. Yeah. It's just that's just where the decision came from. I I mean, outside of Abby's brilliant suggestion, I really think there are no really good options here. I just think they... Um, Don Ingalls, the writer here, wrote them into a really into a corner here where every option they took with that script was going to be bad because it's just a bad script. Can we talk about the single worst spaceship in all of television history? Uh, the little it UFO? It looks exactly like the time machine from the Cell Saga in Dragon Ball. And they're oh, almost yeah. kind of similar stories. I mean, it's not exactly the same. I think that thing has like tripod legs, but like the pod is very similar. And I'm wondering if Toriyama saw this episode. I decided to, to, to take the, um, how did you delicately put it? Take the pee-pee? Yeah. He was, he, was, <laughs> he, he was like, I can do it better. And he did. Well, anybody could have done it better. This spaceship would could have turned up and lost in space, and they would have rolled their eyes at it. It's it's so bad, and like I get that it's expensive to build a prop on set. I'm sorry, on location. I, I I understand that, and I get that things are getting towards the end of the season. Budgets are getting squeezed. I get that, but it can't be that hard to write around it. In some way, again, like, like you, Abby, I don't want to tell the script writers what they should have done like 50 years ago. That's that's not my place in the world. But it's it just like, just 
make it like a doorway. Like they end up in a corridor anyway. So just do like some surreal Twilight Zone thing where it's not a literal representation, but it's just how our senses interpret it or whatever. But that cheap spaceship just like even if everything else in this episode was great. And I think we've been clear that is not the case. But even if everything else in this episode had been great, that that spaceship just looks so cheap and cheesy. And again, in a way that Star Trek just hasn't up to this point. There have been a few dodgy special effects and we've had a few bits and pieces which haven't necessarily been as as convincing as, as we might have wanted. But as a general rule, you know, Star Trek has kind of got away with almost everything. And then we get this and suddenly it just doesn't get away with it anymore. Can I say I love the idea of a high budget sci-fi story series where, you know, you have four or five episodes They've blown the budget on on going to quarries, on building spaceship sets and alien suits. And then they do one episode where they're like, oh, you know, I'm a higher dimensional being in order to, you know, communicate with your senses. This looks just like uh, the, the commissary at the Warner Brothers lot. And we're just sitting down for lunch. And then you can hear the producer off screen going, hey. <laughs> and then the whole rest of the series, they just keep meeting very similar aliens in the lowest budget places you can imagine. Just like, oh, here's a bunch of boxes. That, that's what your senses see them as. And I think that would be a great show. That's not too far off from what this show is, almost. <laughs> it's just a little... It's It's got pretty close a couple times. I mean, replace commissary with leftover sets and the westerns and period pieces they've been filming. And that is basically Aspire Gothos. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, how has I haven't really looked at the the Star Trek episode list? How's the meeting a god every episode quotient been in the first season? High, oh, pr- pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> I know the episode right after this. They're like, as, oh yeah, time travel's easy. We've solved it. Yeah, as yeah. as high as Gene Roddenberry was for most of this. Hey, well done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, it, a lot. The lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. Um. But, you know, again, like, Star Trek has kind of got away with it up to this point. It's it's one of the great balancing acts of this sort of first season is that it does have a great sense of, of just, like, going for it. And the, the sheer sort of momentum that the show's built up by this point, it, it has mostly achieved that. We've had episodes which have been, you know, a bit better or a bit worse or whatever. But it's just kept battling forward. And so the fact that we've had a few kind of gods up to this point um, hasn't been a massive problem. It's, it will become one, but it's not been up till now. And an episode like this one where we have uh, like an alternative universe, like this is the first alternative universe Star Trek has ever done. Now, admittedly, it's just the same quarry and we're told that it's an alternative universe. It's not like we get anything on screen beyond that to sort of explain it. But there is at least something in the conclusion of the episode that, that lends a little bit of drama to like the idea of the two Lazaruses stuck fighting further. Um, and, you know, that helps a little bit. But there is that, that sense that, you know, again, for all that this episode is absolute junk, it, it's still doing something for the very first time. And it is that concept of alternative universes. You know, it's not the most famous example. Obviously, we're going to go on to have uh, the, the mirror universe uh, when we get to season two. 
and so so many terrible episodes of ds9 with the mirror universe as well and so so many terrible episodes of well anyway i'm not a big fan of the mirror universe let's just leave it at Jenny that kira uh, did not die for our sins for you to speak of her like this <laughs> yeah and neither did alt tuvok but we'll just leave that there for now and uh, yeah I, i'm not a fan of the uh, the mirror universe but but regardless of that like like even in an episode as garbage as this one star trek is still trying to push itself in into new territory and if this isn't the most successful example of that at least it's some tiny little fig leaf that we can we can maybe kind of sort of defend the episode with i i don't care i mean i give that whole speech and i completely agree with you i don't care you either but it's you're, the best i can do you're selling me you're selling me because the appeal of like a campy 60s show is it's you know it's a little bit primitive and this is like the most primitive version of this story right there's right. not even like, they're not even measurably different. It's just that one of them's a douchebag. It's not right. like, oh, my antimatter wife died, and that makes me afraid of of uh, of uh, intimacy, and, and that might have affected the relationship that we don't get. It's it's just like, I want to destroy everything. <laughs> which which yeah. is great. I, you could give him, you know, some pathos. You could, like, maybe he's from a like an advanced civilization that was trying to harness the power, say, of stars, perhaps. And uh, he was humiliated and shamed and sort of sort of abandoned in this antimatter universe. And he wants vengeance against the, these lords of time and space. If only we could think of a name for them. And he's, he's you know, he's creating these antimatter men to attack and try to try to try to try to, to grapple his way back to the, the, the matter universe, you know. Like, you know, he's the only man in that universe, so we could give him, you know, a cool Latin name like Delta or or, <laughs> or a Greek Greek name like Delta or or Omega, perhaps. Yeah, Omega, let's call him that. Yeah. And and he can have like anti-men, you know, with like cool names like Lazarus or Sorensen. I'm just spitballing here. You know, I think this is really driving home why they never brought Omega back for to Doctor Who in the reboot. Unless I'm forgetting something, which is entirely possible. You're not but... forgetting anything, but also RTD's back, so it's probably only a matter of time. Oh, sure. A matter of <laughs> time. Okay. The the only thing is they. I'm I'm just pulling the Doctor Who wiki really quick to confirm. I'm, and the only thing is he might have been hinted at in the Timeless Child, which <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> that, need, that need delay us no further. Yes. But yeah. I, like that is a great point that I was about to make too. It's just there's nothing done with the alternate universe. That's sort of the counter argument to your great eloquent fig leaf JG is that they don't do anything with it. Mirror Mirror at least has the, enough fun sense about Spock and a goatee. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know what <laughs> other fun stuff it does. But that no, that alone means they put more thought into making this more of a fun exploration alternate universes than this episode so the quality of an alternate universe story to you is is mainly measured by the quality of the facial hair i it certainly sounds that way but I, <laughs> yeah i mean just, I, will, the... I will go to bat for this beard all right okay this is the 60s right sci-fi is getting experimental filmmaking is getting experimental you've got the italian new wave you know eight easy pieces 12 easy pieces whatever and uh you know then we go into the 70s where facial hair and filmmaking is sort of it's 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 uh, condensed. It's accumulated into like the blockbusters, Jaws, and the uh, you know the handlebar mustache, the uh, the Tom Selleck, 
you know, and then then we have it in the 80s and we have these sort of very basic route one TV shows. And then in the 90s, we sort of start to get, you know, alternative. We, we start to sort of parody our own facial hair and we, we grow ashamed of our facial hair. We grow ashamed of our filmmaking in, in the same token. And then now, you know, everything in a movie, a character is like they fly now. They fly now. Everyone's very sarcastic about the movie that they're in. And no one has mustaches. And I think it's a very similar shame, right? My father, God rest his soul, shaved his mustache in, in I think, 1999. And I think that coincides with the last good movie. The last time I felt joy. The last time Digimon was aired on terrestrial television. Okay, none, I'm stretching now because none of that's true. But I, I liked my dad's yeah. mustache. He was cool. I my dad recently grew facial hair and it really Ooh. threw me for the first time in a 30 year life I saw him for Memorial Day weekend uh, a month ago and he grew you saw him hair. for the first time in your in your 30 no. year life on Memorial Day oh I'm mixing up my clauses I saw him Memorial Day weekend and for the let me put it in this order I saw him on Memorial Day weekend and for the first time in my 30 year life he had facial hair and it really threw me for the first day of that little family reunion um but yeah are you maybe, sure maybe that means... been replaced by an evil doppelganger i mean i'd say that but he acted pretty much exactly the same he he loved the uh aaron sore conduction of camelot as much as i thought he would so that <laughs> proves he's the same man <laughs> um that's what we were doing as well as other new york things but yes new york things yeah you know you you see the the muppet museum plus other movie stuff watching uh, a rat eat pizza I mean, yeah. Oh, no, we didn't see ratty pizza. We did eat. I thought you said eat ratty pizza. And Ooh. yeah, I mean, it was a good pizza, but I, you know, I could see where you're coming from. Tip your rats, folks. Tip your rats. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I guess my point is if my dad is growing out his facial hair, maybe facial hair is coming back and maybe quality is coming back. As we record this in the weekend, where both The Little Mermaid and The Flash are very disappointing uh, financial <laughs> returns, and more, while still in the blockbuster realm, you have more creative things like Across the Spider-Verse um, making a lot of money as well. Maybe it's a sea change. Maybe something's switching up there. I really don't want to have to be the one that drags us back to the episode. Don't make me be you the bad guy. Us, you know, I'm, I'm fine talking about rats and pizza and facial hair, but I don't want to. No, God, we have to, right? We have to return to this. I, this. I, I think I can get a somewhat reasonable segue. All um, right, go for it. I want to I, hear this. I, I relate to your point, Abby, that the beard means they're trying something. They actually have a vision here, and it's not just uh, diluting it for everyone but making everyone clean-shaven. However, it's a bad beard. That's what happens when you take swings. Sometimes you miss, and it's a bad beard. I appreciate the intent. I appreciate they are trying to make things look alien and weird and off-putting. That is what I like a lot about the Star Trek we've seen so far, and why it's such an important artifact that I think gets diluted and we lose in both modern Trek and a lot of attempts at modern franchises. However, objectively, I hate looking at that beard, so I can't support it. If if we want home runs, we can't penalize a player every time they strike it. Okay, okay, that's probably a bad analogy. I think you probably have to after a certain number of strikeouts. Yes. yes, okay. Point taken. I don't know what else to say about this episode. Um, I have, a, I have a, an area of discussion, which excellent. is uh, the John Barrymore leaving. Uh, they had to file a grievance with the Screen Actors Guild 
and they uh, suspended John Barrymore for six months. It's saying on Wikipedia, and I like. We were saying earlier that he he didn't show up because he read the script, and I like the idea that we might one day have. You know, they they bring the script before a judge, and the judge has to say, "No, you're right. This episode would have sucked. You're, you know, no penalty." I like the idea of a, of a judge determining whether a, whether a script is of of any amount of quality. Also, the special effects, great, terrific. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say they did eventually feel a bit sorry for the fact. Um, I think it was Gene Kuhn said he felt a bit sorry for the fact that they actually pursued him that far for not turning up like they were really kind of hurt and wounded that he didn't he didn't make the effort because having having that name attached having john barrymore's name attached to the episode would have would have been a really big draw for star trek so they were a bit wounded by the fact that he basically went <laughs> not doing that um and, you know i think we could all sympathize with him on that front um but yeah they they kind of regretted like pursuing him to that point where he couldn't work for six months um yeah, I gotta say, I'm on I'm on John Barrymore's side in this. I I would have read this and gone, not turning up for that either. Um, but it's 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 interesting how how history can sometimes turn these things about, and, and yeah, they they ended up being rather regretful for it. Hmm. You mentioned the effects, Abby. I this oh, episode gave us great. a lot of yeah, a lot of uh, shake the camera, everyone throws themselves around stuff. But they, I do they love that. superimpose like a picture. It's I not know. an explosion. It's nothing. It's it, that it's apparently is apparently a picture of the Trifid Nebula, which I like just oh. by name alone. That's which a great Wikipedia name. says as I click around was discovered in 1764. Oh wow! I mean, fun fact. <laughs> by far <laughs> but, the most interesting thing we've unveiled about this episode so far. You know what yes. I would love would be if if they just said like, oh, this imaginary camera that we're pretending exists for the purpose of the show is attached to the ship's hull. And so when the ship shakes, the camera is not going to shake. All right, the camera is just fine, and we're just going to see these actors pretending to shake all over the place. Because I think that would be a lot more entertaining to watch. Mm -hmm. I, I think that gets some more of your argument, Beard Abby, where it's like that is a bit of like taking a big swing. And yes, it's metaphorical. It's I mean, I you, you had a fun literal explanation there, but I do think that. Yeah, ask me to suspend my disbelief a bit and uh, see it that way. I think that does... I'm willing to do that for the camera shaking, for the dodge special effects. And I think as long as you're telling an interesting story, I think you can excuse a lot of stuff like that. Um, this does not tell an interesting story, though. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah there, there are some bits of campiness and big swings in this that I appreciate on those terms, even if this is such a dull, dull episode of television. How are we feeling about the interdimensional corridor, which is a corridor? It's that. perfect. No, no. <laughs> I mean, that too, I, I think both things can be true. <laughs> Just perfect from like, like we're talking about that. Oh, of course. I, I'd be much more forgiving again if it was telling an interesting story. Like, this, I hate picking up special effects usually because, again, suspension of disbelief and it's what they had around at the time. But yeah. It's it's just another boring thing to have a boring episode. There's nothing interesting about it. They, it was literally what they had around that day. I'll put forth a counter-argument. Um, we think of, you know, spaceships and unicorns and things that that um, that spark a child's imagination, you know? Something something that a, a child will draw pictures of and imagine, like, oh, what would I do if there was a spaceship? What would I do if there was a unicorn? 
what would I do if there was a corridor I think exists in that realm? I think that a corridor is fascinating to a child brain and to my adult brain because, you know, there, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's already a new space, this corridor that you haven't been in before. And in, implicit within the existence of a corridor, I don't care how boring the corridor is, you don't know what's behind any of those doors. It could be anything. You know, I, I think a corridor, you go into a building you've never been in before, you look down a corridor and you tell me you don't have a little spark of joy and wonderment of, of you know, what what meetings are people having behind these doors? Who's pitching Web 3 at which idiot in this office? You know, behind which door? It, it's, it's, there's imagination. I think Scooby-Doo understands this. You know, the, 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 the joyous frisson of excitement you get watching Scooby-Doo running from one door, appearing out of another door. It's a magic corridor now, all right? It's, it's achieved great success there, but I think even in the 60s, they understood that a corridor is sci-fi, a corridor is exciting, and a corridor is a mystery that, that's just waiting for you to explore. I think it's a beautiful corridor. I think, I think it's up, up there with a spaceship in terms of how exciting an image can be. And this is a magic that exists in every apartment building you know it exists within our world and i think if we can only appreciate the beauty of the world around us more if we can open our minds then we can have world peace kev and i'm sorry that you don't believe this kev i'm sorry that you have such a cynical jaded approach to life on earth all right but i still have love in my heart i still have i still have hope you may not kev you may not, Kev. You you may think there is no hope. I tell thee, busy old fool, unruly son, why dost thou thus through windows and through curtains call on us? Must to thy motions lover seasons run. Saucy pedantic wretch, go chide, late schoolboys and sour prentices. Go tell court huntsmen that the king will ride. Call country ants to harvest offices. Love. All alike, no seasons, knows, nor climb, nor hours, days, months, which are the rags of time. All I have to say to that is I think, unfortunately, the only people who have a mystery magic of corridors are you and director of this episode, Gerd Oswald. <laughs> which is, I, I just want to say his name, Gerd Oswald. That's great, great name. Thank you. Uh, also I, I, want, I want to say that I absolutely agree with you that the quality of the corridor is exactly equal to the quality of the spaceship. Make of that what you will. <laughs> I think one I'm last fun fact before we wrap it up. Uh, Gerd Oswald also directed Agent for Harm, one of the MST3K episodes. Well, the hey. movie featured in MST Science Theater 3000. Obviously not the episode itself. But yeah, uh, the MST3K alum, which is not a great company to be in, I think. But, you know. <laughs> Well, I think we. I, I, I'm not uncomfortable describing this episode as the MST3K of season one. Yeah, it hits all the all the cliches that you think of with Star Trek. It it's a good one. Okay, well, I think uh, unless anybody uh, wishes to contradict me, I think we can probably draw a veil over this episode and, and gratefully and gracefully move towards our scoring. So, um, Abby, you're our guest this week. So, um, what rating would you like to give this episode? 255 out of 255. No notes. Okay. Qualifier out of 10. Why? That, that's that's hard to express in hexadecimal. It's inefficient. Um. Well, because I'm a numerical fascist. That's why. 
All right, so in an unsigned integer, uh, <laughs> ten out of ten, no notes. Uh, Kev, JG. Okay, I'll go. Um, <laughs> I was. I think I said. I think it was off mic, but it could have been on mic, which is why I feel I need to explain myself. I think I said uh, I was going to give this the same grade as Space Seed, which was a three. But I think Abby's passionate arguments have lowered my grade to a two. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned my lesson. Never try. Excellent. So, uh, so obviously you mean two and a half, right, Kev? Uh, two solid out of ten. Um, two solid out of ten. Yeah, you, you know, I'm going to agree with you. I'm also going to give this a two out of ten. I can't, I can't even muster the enthusiasm for a half point just for the sake of being persnickety. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think a two out of ten for me as well. I think this is effortlessly the worst episode that we've had to suffer through so far. I think we're watching Star Trek for radically different reasons. I, I think, think that's, so too. I think that's possible. But then that, that means I want to encourage you to watch the really good episodes of Star Trek, where I've stuff actually happens. And... Who cares? <laughs> okay. Well, you'll you'll be back for your James Bond pastiche that you uh, recommended. Heck so yes. no I, I want to see I want to see Quark and his family reciting slogans at each other at a terrible dinner where they all have to eat through their horrible prosthetics. Like that's the joy of Trek to me. Misery. Well, Misery. I think for now we can probably we can probably put Trek misery or not to one side, um, and move on to our recommendations. So, um, Abby, again, you're our guest, so uh, we'll let you go first. Um, what would you like well, to recommend for us this week? Well, as we're recording this, the video game uh, Digimon World Next Order is on uh, sale very cheap. It won't be by the time this episode goes out, probably, but uh, you should still try to play it because it's. You know, it, it's a it's a genuinely unusual shape for an RPG. It's a very satisfying shape. It's like a it's a virtual pet. It's a city builder. It's uh, when you die in a roguelike game, you know that sort of setback. You know, it, it's similar in this virtual pet where your your pet dies and you have to raise it up again to become mighty and strong so you can explore this this virtual world again. Uh, but because you you know it's stapled onto the city builder, you're not losing as much progress as you might feel like. It's I think it's a cool structure that more games should take. It's something they've they've only made three games along these lines the original digimon world on uh the playstation uh digimon redigitized on on the uh playstation portable and 3ds never came out in the u.s so you know two effectively uh if you only speak english um and i think more people should appreciate it because it's good and there's dinosaurs and the dinosaurs eat meat on bone which is like the the, the archetype of cartoon food you know monkey d luffy they're probably gonna have monkey d luffy eating just regular food in in this netflix show it's very sad to think about i mean you know it, it might still be good but if he's just eating real food we'll be very sad i hope he eats meat on bone meat on bone kev i, I agree it's kev, a classic cartoon trope um, I, I just want to comment on your recommendation that I, even though I am deep in Tears of the Kingdom right now and probably will not be able to play a video game for months out of obligation of finishing that, and I play video games so little nowadays, uh, I do like that the cover of Digimon World Next Order has a Gilmon from the third season on it, which is about when I stopped paying attention to Digimon because the fourth the season was season. weird. It was the best season. Um, uh, but Frontier was, I only caught like half of it. It was very off-putting. And then I think I watched all of was it Saber's the name of the fifth one? That was mediocre. Yeah, yeah. Saber is Data Squad in in the Disney yeah. 
I'll always it's, it's have that one. I think the premise is great, and then they gave it a budget of like ten bucks, and it like yeah. immediately runs out of steam. Yeah, uh, uh, to, it has its joys. To close off the Digimon corner and bring JG back into the conversation, uh, I'll always have Adventure O One and Tamers, those two perfect seasons of television, and I value them so much. Um, but yes, I am going to recommend a TV show that I have not recommended on Talking Trek, at least may have recommended on Talking Who, but a different audience, I assume, for this podcast. So I am going to recommend The Other Two, a show currently streaming on Max, the place where you stream for HBO, a very uh, name that is easily searchable and you associate it with that service, and then a slogan that is so catchy and tells you everything you need to know about it. Max, the place where you stream HBO. Um, but yes, The Other Two is a show on Max that is about... Uh, these two siblings, Brooke and Carrie, played brilliantly by Helen York and Drew Tarver, who are, in the first season, siblings of a pop superstar. In the second season, their mom also becomes super famous as a talk show host. In the currently airing third season, they start becoming famous as a manager. Uh, Brooke becomes a manager, Carrie becomes an actor, and the fame starts really messing with their heads in a very entertaining way. Um, also their famous sibling and parent, um, start really facing the consequences of being famous, even though they have the more normal personalities of the family and it's not great for them. <laughs> uh, that sounds very depressing, but it is a riotously funny show. Uh, it is the best Hollywood satire out there, especially now that Bojack Horseman is over. It's pretty much the one for just great punchlines about celebrities and pop culture and things like that. Uh, really vicious and fun and mean. Just the kind of sitcom. And I, I appreciate the Abbott Elementaries and such of the world. But if you're looking for something that's also biting, which seems like rarer nowadays, uh, the other two, what a, what, a harsh, what a harsh show that is extremely funny and has a lot to say as well. I love that show. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Just to very briefly refer back to the previous conversation, uh, I, I'm not much of a video game player, uh, but my uh, partner is playing um, Tears of the Kingdom at the moment, and I find it incredibly soothing to sit and watch him direct oh, yeah. a horny, hot little elf around landscapes. It's, it's very, very pleasing. Um, but that's entirely, that's as close as I can get to having anything to do with that conversation. Can I, can so. I just say that Link famously doesn't talk so that the player can like project onto him? And I love that. Oh, the, I'm, the I'm projecting. Trust me, different. I'm projecting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think before we disappear down that rabbit hole, I'm just going to move quietly on and, and um, say that my recommendation uh, this week is a TV show, American Born Chinese. Um, it sounds like it should be a bit of a gimmick because it's basically uh, the cast of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Phenomenal film, it goes without saying. Um, but in a TV show. And yet, it's kind of great. I'm actually really, really amazed by how good it is. Um, I mean, almost anything Michelle Yeoh is going to be good, right? I mean, that goes without saying. And here's hoping that um, Section 31 doesn't break that streak. Uh, but, you know, it's such a it's such a pleasing little show. I haven't read the graphic novel, so uh, full, dis full disclosure there. It's I just experienced this as a TV show, so I'm not bringing any baggage to it. I don't really have any preconceptions. Um, but it's a really terrific piece of work i just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it it's nice to see michelle you're being given little um 
lighter moments, which is is not often what she's given to do. Um, but it's just incredibly pleasing. I feel it steers clear a lot of the of a lot of the cliches, especially when it comes uh, like to having a younger cast or a, or a teenage cast. So uh, we have uh, Jim Wang, who is our protagonist. Uh, 10th grader, I don't know what that is because I'm not American, but I, I guess like young teenager, I don't know what age what age is 10th grader, you guys must Are, are you me. still year 11 by that point, 6th form? It's like something yeah. like that? It's 16 to answer your question, 16, 17 Okay, alright, that's fine um, 15, 16, and, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of the familiar kind of beats of like, you know like, trying to fit in, or trying to be like, you know, one of the cool kids or whatever um, but it kind of steers clear of the usual sort of oh well let's take this as an excuse to humiliate someone or let's you know have him be awkward around girls or, or whatever it is um it's not that there's none of that but it just doesn't go down all the routes that you think it's going to do and then particularly sort of towards the end of the first episode it starts to introduce the mythology of it and it does it really well it's not a big sort of clunky uh, okay, now here comes the exposition. Uh, it's just gradually introduced little bit by little bit. Um, it's incredibly uh, successful. Ben Wang is fantastic as Jin. Really, really great performance. Uh, like I said, it goes without saying that Michelle Yeoh is great. Uh, it's also a clever little show. It does a little um, sort of parody of the old incredibly cheesy like 70s uh, TV show Monkey without kind of just leaning into all the, the meta nonsense, but it still manages also to be really good fun whilst playing with those tropes. Uh, the fight sequences are remarkable for for, uh, for a TV show. It's just all incredibly put together. Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 great. I, I, it's, I don't know. I just whatever I was expecting from this show isn't what it ended up being. And so I, I love it. I'm. I'm. I really hope it's. Uh, it's going to have legs. I really hope it gets. Uh, it gets some notice and that. Uh, that people go for it. It's only eight episodes long, so it's not a massive kind of time sink. It's on Disney Plus, so easy enough to find. And yeah, so that's that's my recommend recommendation. American born Chinese. Yeah, I've been meaning to check it out. It sounds really good. Like I said, great cast. Uh, I read the the graphic novel over the holidays. Um, and it was this year. And it sounds like the TV show is bit, is loosely inspired by the last five pages of that book. It's <laughs> without getting into it, it, it definitely sounds like a massive departure, but taking some of the same ideas that that book was playing with in terms of identity and mythology and things like that. So, um, yeah, it sounds like a very different experience, but one that probably better suited for television than a straight adaptation would have been. So I am interested in checking it out, uh, hopefully soon. Fantastic. Good. Well, um, I think then we can shift ourselves on to plugs. So, um, Abby, what would you like to plug? Uh, I, I got nothing to plug at the moment. If uh, you're a literary agent, you should uh, get in touch with me. I'm uh, currently shopping around a graphic novel called Gamer Mom, colon, The Mom Who Games. And it's a, it's a sort of a YA middle grade-ish um, com comedy story about about what if what if Yu Gi Oh had had a had a child and hit his thirties and was like oh th these skills don't translate to life at all and uh, tries to tries to impress the PTA and it it uh, spirals wildly out of control and, and you'll love it you'll love it it's great it's got jokes it's got it's got sad moments it's got happy it's heartwarming 
you know, it's in many ways, I think it's the great American graphic novel. Um, it's, it's nothing uh, compared to American born Chinese, which is, of course, a masterpiece. But um, it's pretty good. Yeah. Whenever you it's tweet fine. about it, I really want to read it. It sounds great. Right? Doesn't it? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Got to be worth checking. Come on. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And, and Kev, would you care to tell people how they can get in touch with us? Well, I mentioned tweeting before. Abby, did, did you want to plug your Twitter? Or if you want to remain anonymous, that's fine. I, I mean, I, I, uh, my, my Twitter is uh, Abby Denton, uh, Ms. Abitha. At the moment, I always say I'll change it, and I never do. I'm never going to uh, uh, migrate over to Blue Sky because no one will give me an invite. And because uh, this is the only social network on which I've ever done anything resembling numbers. It's humiliating to go on LO, to go on Instagram, nothing. So I've just deleted all of my other accounts. It's just Twitter or the or the moon. The moon. The moon. That's all. Be my friend and 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 tell your parents you want to read Gamer Mom, colon, the mom who games. Which is it's a it's an old movie, uh, The Man Who Laughs. It's uh, it's literary, it's 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 erudite. It's an allusion. All right. Um and speaking of Twitter, you can find us on Twitter at TalkTrek to You. You can find me on Twitter at Kev Kozer, K-E-V-K-O-E-S-E-R. I also frequently guest on the podcast Total Massacre, the action movie podcast hosted by Rowan Kaiser, uh, who will be on next week. Knock on wood. Uh, but should be. Yeah, she's she said she wanted the good episode in her language, I believe, is something to the effect of the good episode that Harlan Ellison wrote. So she got it. <laughs> um so, yes, and you can find more JG's writings at www.jgmcquarrie.scott, J-G-M-C-Q-U-A-R-R-I-E.scott. And you can like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and our podcast use to help other people find it. Or JG's other podcast, we're at the shop that out, Beatles Stuffology, going through the Beatles track by track. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And thank you once again, Abby, for joining us. It's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. And we can leave it there for this week. Next episode, well, we're kind of going from the ridiculous to the sublime. We're going to be covering the city on the edge of forever. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking.